Welcome, everybody, back to the next session of the RSVA 2020 presentation. This one is sure to be exciting. We have some um, very intelligent um, attorneys on the line with us that are going to talk about um, Randolph Shepard law around the country, which is what uh, all of us vendors, of course, look to and kind of get guidance within our own states. Um, but first, Dan Sipples with us, of course, Randolph Vendors um, President. I'll turn it over to you. Right. Well, again, thank you for coming back and for your first joining us. We're proud and privileged to have you here. Um, it is with great, um, I'm very proud and privileged to offer you our next speakers. As we're all aware, um, 50% of the attorneys graduated the lower half of their class. However, I am very proud and privileged to say that we have three attorneys that are at the very top of their class with respect to Randolph Shepard program and the disability rights and particularly blindness issues. With that, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Jeff Tom as Jeff has another, another speech he has to give right shortly. So we'll give uh, Jeff going here right away. And uh, Jeff Tom from California, uh, retired attorney from uh, Sacramento. Uh, hang on. Okay. Uh, before okay. we start that, I do need to oh. give the opening code for this session. I'm sorry about that. But That's okay. That, Randy. okay. Um, so if you are, if you have a credential that requires continuing education, your opening code is 672DB. One more time. 672 D as in Delta, B as in Bravo. Thank you, and enjoy the presentation. Okay, thank you. So, uh, happy 4th, happy uh, either morning or afternoon, depending upon where you are. I, uh, interestingly enough, my um, next presentation, which is why I'm starting off here, is on conflict resolution. And conflict is something that... Uh, Vendors seem to have enough of, um, for one reason or another. And uh, we're going to talk about some of those conflicts. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is one that, uh, if, if those of you who know about the ACB currency case, this kind of looks a little bit like it. Um, I think it's been about, been about uh, four years ago that... Co competition began in the marine base area. Uh, it, really, it's a combination really? of bases, one in Arizona, uh, five or six in California, and a couple in North Carolina. And uh, finally, they got a, uh, a teaming partner document together with all the vendors that were selected in the states to have those bases, and I believe I heard that the um, the the bid package they put together was you know twelve hundred pages or something like some unbelievable. Anyway, they didn't get it. Uh, the military doing its normal thing and and basically thumbing their noses at the Randolph Shepard priority. So. Um, and what I think was a, a bad move in a way, California decided not to arbitrate and wait for North Carolina to arbitrate. And that's been well over a year. And so far, we haven't heard any results from that arbitration. So this just goes along and, you know, it could be the next century before that's finally resolved. But I, I just want to say that with all the problems in terms of other types of venues, it's really all the more important to fight, you know, for our priority with the military because these are really great types of venues um, if our vendors can get them. And unfortunately, uh, even though Secretary DeVos has been you know, really good in terms of holding uh, the prevent, holding the priority as uh, important and as, you know, undeniable, uh, the military is really still not in many cases been willing to 
you know, bend and, and they pretty much are doing what they want in a number of cases. So I think it's really important we fight them at every turn. Uh, the other, uh, the other um, uh, judicial matter in this case that I want to discuss is um, one of our members, James Cyrus. I don't know if James is listening. If he is uh, on the Zoom, I, I encourage him to raise his hand and, and say something. Um, James's case is in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, basically, there were two issues. Um, there's the issue of whether commissions uh, can be charged on county property. And that really gets at, you know, how far does the um, Randolph Shepard priority extend? And then there's the issue of whether uh, past damages can be collected when the state asserts its sovereign immunity. And um, the latter is an uphill battle because uh, most of the decisions have been going the other way, both in the Randolph Shepard area and in general, in terms of damages against the state uh, for past actions. Um, unfortunately, uh, Jim, who has an excellent attorney, and, and we were privileged to submit an amicus brief on behalf of um, RSVA as well, but uh, unfortunately he did draw um, uh, two rather conservative judges, but um, in talking with his attorney when they did hold the hearing, uh, one of them did appear to consider some of um, the arguments that uh, you know, Jim's attorney was propounding for his case. So, you know, they do have some hope and uh, they're awaiting the decision. And it's, it's likely that it's been slowed down a little bit by uh, all of the COVID-19 um, problems that have, you know, impacted the courts, but they would anticipate it in the very near future. So, you know, we'll hope for the best uh, in Jim's decision. So just, I'll just inquire. Um, there's no hand raises there in terms of uh, uh, um, Jim being here. Okay, I'm going to assume not. So um, since I have to depart, maybe if there are any questions on these two items, if anybody wants to raise their hand now, they could do that. And then I'll turn it over to Chris for um, his very uh, wide-ranging report. It doesn't look like you have any hands up. Okay, thank you very much, everyone, and uh, good luck at the rest of your convention. I'm sorry I can't hang around for more of this session. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. We really appreciate your time. I guess uh, you're ready for me, Dan. Is that right? We have a... Hello, can y'all hear me? Do we have a raised hand? You do not. Oh, yes, we do have one. Hang on. Oh, no, we had one, but they put it back down. They put it back down. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with, with that, then we'll uh, turn over to Chris Prentice, from, uh, attorney from Texas, and uh, worked very closely with uh, the Randolph Shepard program in the state of Texas. Chris? Good afternoon, uh, Dan. Thank you very much, and happy Independence Day to everyone. Uh, is my voice good? Do you ever, everyone hear me okay? Yes. Okay, good. Um, first of all, I, I am an assistant general counsel with the Texas Workforce Commission, and we are the uh, state agency that, that uh, houses the business enterprises of Texas, the Randolph Shepard program in Texas. Um, I'm also a part of the uh, VR Attorney Network. Uh, that's a national network of attorneys that work with uh, uh, VR and uh, Randolph Shepard. And, and I'm actually the person that uh, facilitates the, the monthly calls for discussions on updates on, on Randolph Shepard cases. Uh, and we meet every month uh, by teleconference. So uh, we, we talk about not only things that are going on in Texas, but around the country. And um, I wanted to focus on... 
I wanted to focus on a few cases that uh, are important. Uh, one's been decided, and, and there are two others that are that are awaiting a final decision. Uh, before I go any further, I want to say that that as as a as an employee of Texas Workforce Commission, obviously I represent the state licensing agency, and so uh, it, it may appear that that my uh, my discussion may may. Uh, color in that direction, but um, uh, that's just it's an occupational hazard. So um, I'm familiar with, you know, with our program. I know many of our vendors personally and have known some of them for over 40 years in, in the Texas program. Uh, the first case I want to talk about is one that uh, came out of Oklahoma and the, uh, the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals in federal court. And uh, the case is the Oklahoma Department of Rehab Services versus uh, Department of Education and David Allstock. And I'm going to give you some background on this before we get to what the final decision was. Uh, this case started out in, well, I guess the whole proceeding started out in late 2012, early 2013, when when the ODRS, which is the the, the uh, the business enterprise program, uh, when they sought to replace uh, the the blind manager at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which is near Lawton in uh, South Oklahoma, and so they they formed a panel, and the panel selected Robert Brown as the as the vendor to replace uh, the the old manager. The part of the part of the requirement in in the Oklahoma rules was that in order to be eligible for selection, the uh, the the, uh, the vendor could not have had any tax delinquencies in the three years prior to applying for uh, for the position, and um, uh, the uh, uh, Robert Brown scored highest. David Allstock was second highest. And he complained, uh, filed a complaint with RSA, and said that uh, said that uh, the committee left out part of the information. And the response from from ODRS was that they didn't have all the information available. So the information was provided to the committee. They reconsidered, and they still selected Robert Brown. Uh, Allstop filed another complaint. Uh, subsequently, those two complaints were merged. And and it went to arbitration. At arbitration, it was discovered that Mr. Brown had, uh, in years prior, had a delinquency in his personal income taxes, um, and had made an had made an agreement. So he wasn't in default. He'd made an agreement and begun uh, repaying what he owed. But uh, he took the position that uh, he wasn't delinquent because it wasn't all demanded to be paid and uh, the ODRS agreed with him and said it wasn't delinquent. So they, they stuck with that. So it, but the arbitration panel decided that that was inappropriate and they, they determined that first of all, that uh, uh, Mr. Brown should be removed and that Mr. Allstott should be the new vendor at Fort Sill. Um, they, the panel further awarded damages to, uh, Mr. Allstott for the amount of money that he would have made during the time that Brown had uh, been in place because he was he was put in place after the decision was made and and so over a couple of years he was you know, making pretty good money at uh, Sill. Uh, they also awarded attorney's fees. Uh, ODRS appealed the decision when in the, the way these work is if you are unhappy with the decision of, at the arbitration panel, you appeal, you appeal to federal court. Uh, they appealed to federal court in the Western District of Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City, and the trial court, the trial court agreed with the arbitration panel saying the replacement of, uh, and, and ordered the immediate replacement of uh, Brown with Allstock. They ordered the payment of damages and attorney's fees. So, Oklahoma DRS then 
Can y'all still hear me? Yep, you're back. Yep. Okay, good, because it said my speaker wasn't working. I just want to make sure. Um, so so the, the uh, Oklahoma Department, they, they appealed, and and the the appellate court reached their decision, and that decision was uh, rendered on uh, September in September of 2018. And uh, the court ruled that the arbitration panel and the district court were correct in removing Brown and putting Allstock in place because he they determined that he was delinquent in his taxes. And so uh, for that reason, the committee's decision was was not correct. And so Mr. Allstock was awarded the facility. Now, when it came to damages, uh, the court went through some uh, substantial bit of argument in the opinion, but the, the final decision was that uh, uh, the state has sovereign immunity uh, in in these situations, and the state did not voluntarily uh, give up the sovereign immunity. They did not uh, enter into any agreement that allowed uh, for uh, the waiving of sovereign immunity. So, therefore, damages could not be awarded to Mr. Allstock. So, uh, that was the decision regarding damages. Now, as to attorney's fees, uh, and I know most of you on the call are not attorneys, but uh, there's there's a standard in in legal jurisprudence that has gone on for a long time. It's known as the American rule. And basically what the American rule is that with regard to attorney's fees, each party is responsible for their own attorney's fees unless there's a contracted agreement that says that the prevailing party is entitled to recover their attorney fees and costs, or uh, there's a statute that says that the prevailing party is entitled to attorney's fees, or there's some other really exigent circumstance where the court feels that it's appropriate to award that. And the, the court went with basically the American rule and said that, said that uh, Mr. Allstock was not entitled to be paid his attorney's fees. So in the end, Allstock got the facility, but he did not recover any damages, and he did not recover his attorney's fees. And that decision became final. Now, after that became final, uh, Fort Sill came up for uh, – there apparently were some, some issues, minor issues with regard to the, to the uh, operation of the facility, and uh, the DOD – Put it up for bid again, and and the state licensing agency in Oklahoma uh, and Mr. Allstott did not win the bid, uh, and so they there's been a new arbitration filed against the, the military trying to get trying to get that facility back. But currently, there is not a licensed blind vendor operating at Fort Sill at this time, and uh, uh, Cantu Services is. The- partner that is working uh, that I believe is working with Allstott, that was working with Allstott and and that that case is un, under uh, I think it's pending arbitration at this time. So that is that is the status of that case but as as Jeff mentioned sovereign immunity is is, is where the courts are going to damages and, and then the American rule as far as attorney's fees are concerned um, and that's that was 2018 case. Now, uh, one that hits us closer to home here in Texas is a case that uh, arose out of Texas, out in El Paso, um, and this actually started. This actually started in 2014. Uh, we've had we've had a licensed supply manager out there since 2003, and in 2014 came time for. Uh, for them to solicit for uh, food, full food service and dining facility attendance services again. Uh, so initially they put out, the, the military put out their uh, their solicitation, and it was one solicitation for both full food service and dining facility attendance services. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with military contracts, full food service is where, where the blind manager is responsible for for uh, preparation, preparation, cooking, serving of the food, 
as well as every other operation within the cafeteria, including washing dishes, uh, uh, making sure that uh, the, the tables are cleared, the, the floors are clean, the, the uh, drink stations are, are clean, and there's plenty of soda and tea and coffee uh, available at the drinking stations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if it's just dining facility, dining facility attendant services or DFA services, that's just the the ancillary stuff like the mopping the floors, cleaning of the tables, cleaning of the drink stations, washing dishes, uh, and that kind of stuff. It's everything except for uh, food preparation. So I'll kind of refer to these as DFA and 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 FFS just for uh, abbreviations for those of you. I, just, I want to make sure everybody kind of was on the same page. I don't want you to get lost because um, this stuff can get a little can get a little muddy from time to time. Uh, Fort Bliss is a large operation. Um, they've got six cafeterias, and uh, our manager has service at two of those dining facility or DFA services at the other four. Um, and it's interesting. In the old days, this didn't take place. My dad was in the army, and he did quite a bit of KP. And they, you know, they used to use. Uh, KP uh, or you know kitchen kitchen duty as a way of punishing the soldiers or or getting their attention if they weren't uh, doing everything they were supposed to, but they took that away and outsourced that really after the Cold War and and so that's that's where this came into play. Um, 1974 was when the Randolph Shepard Act was last amended that added cafeterias to uh, to Randolph Shepard, and uh, so subsequent to that, then we've we've gotten different uh, contracts and different uh, on different military bases. So after the initial solicitation came out about a week after that, they put out a new separate solicitation for DFA services only, but they, they made it specifically for small business set aside. Well, obviously the state of Texas is not a small business. Uh, We appealed that on July 15th of fourteen. On July 17th, uh, the military denied our appeal and said, nope, we're going to do this as small business set-aside. So even though Texas did not qualify as a small business, we submitted a bid anyway. They denied that, and they were moving forward. So um, we attempted to get our agency to to file a temporary restraining order to keep them from doing that. The agency wouldn't do it, uh, and so... Uh, our then current uh, line manager, with his with his legal counsel, they filed for a temporary for a temporary injunction and uh, uh, temporary restraining order, and sued the agency and sued uh, the Department of Education and the military. And then once once we went to court, then the parties were realigned. So in early September of 2014, uh, we went to court. And uh, the court granted uh, granted the uh, well they already granted the uh, restraining order so that kept them from awarding the DFA contract and the military did not want the injunction but in order to avoid getting that injunction they agreed not to do anything different to keep the status quo until there was a final decision with regard to uh, the litigation so. That agreement was reached. Um, eventually, uh, in in June, July of 2017, uh, we went to arbitration out in, at, on on Fort Bliss, uh, and the decision the decision was rendered at the end of end of 2017 against against uh, Texas and in favor of in favor of uh, DOD and uh, Department of Education. So in January, the end of January of 2018, uh, Texas uh, appealed the decision of the arbitration panel to district court, the Western District of Texas in El Paso. And uh, in in November, October, November of 2018, uh, the court granted summary judgment in favor of of the state licensing agency and and uh, ruled that the arbitration panel inappropriately um, 
interpreted the Randolph Shepard Act and found the DFA services were covered as uh, something that that the priority covered. And so soon after that, um, after motions for rehearing and all that were happened, then uh, in early 2019, uh, DOE and DOD. I mean, it's DOE, but it's really it's the it's the Department of Justice representing the interest of the military because DOE it's their program, so they have to say it's in DOE, but DOE is not making the decisions, and um, so. They, they appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. Uh, while that was pending in, um, in uh, March of 2018, we obtained a letter from uh, Secretary of Education DeVos uh, that basically said that DFA services were covered by uh, the Randolph Shepard, that the priority does cover that. And she related it to Fort Riley, Kansas, and we'll get to Kansas here in a minute. And but yet we we submitted that with our appellate information to uh, to the court on the, on appeal. Um, of course, um, uh, DOD did not like that, and, but that's that's in there. Uh, oral briefs were filed, and oral argument was held in February of this year. And uh, we are still we're still waiting for a decision. The decision could come at uh, at any point, um, but the issue comes down to does does uh, handling uh, the DFA services constitute operating operating a cafeteria? And obviously, if you think about it, nobody's going to eat in the cafeteria if nobody's washing the dishes and nobody's cleaning the floors or. Uh, making sure the drink stations are taken care of. I mean, obviously, those are integral parts of operating food service anywhere. All the uh, all employees that work doing PFA services have to have food handler permits. And um, in in some in some cafeterias, some military bases, occasionally uh, there there's a need for some of those DFA people to be able to step in and do food preparation. So. We're we're pretty comfortable with that. Um, Peter Nolan was representing the agency at the uh, uh, at uh, on 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 this case throughout, and and he did the argument oral argument in uh, February. So we're waiting for that decision. Now, along the same timeline as this one, but a little bit behind it, um, Kansas Kansas had gotten a successful arbitration uh, for Fort Riley. And uh, but Resource America, Ability One, uh, they they wanted they wanted to be able to get that particular base. I mean, already Ability One has probably eighty percent of the uh, military contracts on bases throughout the country. But they wanted they wanted to get that one. They didn't, you know. They filed after the arbitration panel ruled in Kansas's favor at Fort Riley. Resource America filed, or Source America, it's not Resource America. Source America filed filed an action appealing that decision, but they filed it in Virginia, and they filed against DOE, and then they also, uh, and so they're saying that they should have been able to intervene in, in the arbitration. So, so Kansas intervened into that because obviously it was their decision, and why they were able to file in Virginia. I guess because that's where Source America is, and they used diversity jurisdiction, but they filed it in Kansas. I mean, in Virginia, and it stayed there. In the trial court, uh, the argument was made that Source America did not have standing because they were not mentioned anywhere in the Randolph Shepard Act. They don't have standing to intervene in arbitrations. Those are supposed to be between the state licensing agency and the DOE and the military. Um, but the trial court allowed them to intervene, and the court ruled in their favor, saying that they sh- they should have been able to get that. So that case was appealed to the Second Circuit, and Peter Nolan's representing Kansas in this case also. And they just had oral arguments in this case in on f- May the twenty eighth, twenty uh, ninth of this year. So that that case is a few months behind 
the Fort Bliss case. And so many of the same arguments are made regarding DFA services on that one. But, you know, of course, the other one is standing for Source America to be able to jump into arbitrations where they're not even technically a party uh, to to the uh, to the priority. So it'll be interesting to see how those two cases turn out. Uh, I visited with Peter a few weeks ago. He did indicate that there's a possibility that the that the, the clerks or even the judges from the fifth and the second may even have a little conference call and talk about what they think regarding their uh, their positions and their opinions on this. So it, it'll be interesting to see how those opinions turn out. Now, just forecasting a little bit ahead, just in case, if one case goes one direction and rules in favor of the state licensing agency and one goes the other way, then you have two different opinions in two different circuits. That would make it ripe and available to go to the Supreme Court because you've got two different decisions from two different circuits. Now, how this plays out, I wish I could tell you. Um, I, I really feel comfortable about the, uh, and kind of one of the turning things is there's there's a legal there's a, a legal terminology ref, uh, regarding. Uh, the, the letter from uh, Secretary DeVos, and it's called it's called deference, uh, where where the court should give deference or give uh, give a little more weight to the opinion of the secretary because she is the head of that agency. Um, the uh, the DOJ has argued against that in both cases, and in fact, in the Virginia case, they basically said that that wasn't the opinion of DOE, but uh, Secretary DeVos has never backed off from that letter. And so uh, the letter the letter is strong, and we believe that the precedent is there for the court to uh, give that letter deference. And if the letter is given deference, where she's stated that this is her official position, that the DFA services are covered by the Randolph-Shepard Act, then uh, that will probably be the final decision. So... Those are those are the two major cases. Um, there are some other matters pending in Florida and Oregon, and uh, some other some other um, states. Now, one of the other things I know in light of, of COVID, and, and this this has a lot to do with this has a lot to do with the relationship between state licensing agencies and the vendors. And many of you have uh, are in a position where you've lost a great deal of your income, but not all of your income. Uh, I know based on our conversations with the, uh, with the different attorneys representing uh, Randolph Shepard uh, programs throughout the country that the states are looking for ways to, to assist their vendors to get, to get them, you know, back on their feet once they're able to get back into their, their different facilities, whether those are uh, state buildings, federal property, um, prisons, jails, whatever it happens to be, uh, they're looking for funding to be able to uh, to help get things back off the ground again and going. Uh, other than the military contracts, most of the other vendors have been pretty well relegated to, uh, if, if not a total shutdown, uh, 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 you know, 80 or 90 percent drop in income. So it's important at this point to uh, to to do to to work with your elected committee of managers and work work with the SLA. This is this is not a time to fight. I mean, there are times to fight. But, um, this is a time to work with them. So uh, you know, realizing the, the Randolph Shepard Act dates back to 1936, and the only reason that this act passed was because uh, there was no funding attached to it, and uh, that's. If they had tried to attach funding, it would have never gotten through the Congress. And so that's uh, – Congress, the only reason they pass is like, well, this will never amount to anything. And obviously the advocates for the Randolph-Shepard Act throughout the years have made sure that, that it was a lucrative opportunity. Um, you know, this, this, is, this is an act and an opportunity that, uh, that, that blind vendors have that, that no other – there's really no other program like this in the country. And 
There's no other opportunity as good as this where someone is there to back you up. I mean, if you were in private business, you would not have the benefits that you have to uh, in this program. And so it's important to uh, to to keep that in mind. I mean, the agencies are struggling right now to, to find ways to make this work. Some agencies have more funds to be able to, to assist their managers than others. Uh, it's important to look at the other opportunities that you have to uh, – Find find money whether it's through the the uh, PPPA that was passed or the uh, most states are self employed people are allowing unemployment uh, compensation uh, based on you know based on the closure of your facilities um, and so those are those are kind of the important things that I wanted to mention um, I, I will also tell you that that every time a new solicitation comes out if if you are a part of a military contract or you know people that are, please keep in mind that, um, that the military, whether it's the Marines, the Army, the Air Force, it doesn't matter. They are all trying to get blind vendors off the bases. They could think of nothing better than to, to rid themselves because one of the ways that they like to use it, they, they, have, they have buddies that are not that are retired military that they would like to give contracts to. And so they don't. This kind of takes part of their power away, and so they've they've tried inserting things into solicitations. We have to read and review those solicitations every time they come out very carefully because they are looking for opportunities, ways to avert, avoid, and discount the priority. They they've, and so it's it's important to know that that. Uh, uh, we we have to fight. We have to fight to stay on these bases. And um, uh, you know, in Texas, we've we've fought every time. We've had battles. We've had battles at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, and of course, this thing's been going on at Fort Bliss for six years now. So, um, you know, uh, SLAs need to need to fight for their vendors, and the vendors need to work with the SLA to make sure that uh, uh, you know. You want them to fight for you, so you want to make sure you get along with them. Uh, and I'm not saying allow people to take advantage of you, but realize that there are responsibilities with every privilege, and and it's it's important that we take advantage of this program where it will stay around. Uh, the other thing that seems to be critical is that a lot of our managers are are getting are getting up there in years, and I'm you know I'm I'm not young either, so but. Uh, we need to recruit. We need to recruit young young people to get in this program, um, and and to be excited about it. and And they they need to see that it's a positive opportunity for them to to make a good living and to uh, uh, to to make a good career. So, uh, with that, I've pretty well talked about the cases that, that I'd plan to talk about. And if anyone has any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Okay, uh, you have. We have one hand. It is uh, Tamina. Oh, hello. Can you hear you? Okay. Uh, are you there? Yes. Okay. Um, two questions I have. Number one, um, you had said that uh, they are trying to get rid of the blind um, uh, vendors of their military base. Would they consider or give a priority to uh, retire vets going into Daniel Shepherd, uh, you know, the vending program? And the other one is somebody earlier mentioned that uh, private facilities they are trying to collect taxes. Is that is that's what I heard? Did I hear that correctly? Um, I think I think maybe okay. Let's. The first question, uh, the military is when, when these contracts come up for bid every, usually every three to five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time they put out a new solicitation, uh, they, they know what federal law says. They know that Randolph Shepard is supposed to get a priority. Uh, you do have to uh, submit a bid within the competitive range unless they choose to enter into ne- direct negotiations, which they rarely do. Um, so it's important to, to put together a good bid, but, but they many times are, are putting things in the, 
in the solicitation, which is the document that they put out to advertise for uh, for a, a vendor that uh, is like priority plus, like you you have to have the best bid or you have to have the lowest price or uh, Randolph Shepard bid, uh, Randolph Shepard priority may be considered, things like that. So you have to really look at that that wording very carefully in those solicitations, and it's page after page after page. These are not short solicitations there they go on 50 60 pages or longer and you have to read every paragraph very slowly and very carefully to make sure that the right stuff is in there um as far as private facilities i think my understanding of what your question was when jeff was talking about the uh, situation with mr cyrus's case in ohio the situation there was um he had he had vending on uh, county properties uh, at different locations. I believe in the city of Toledo, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, counties are not uh, counties have historically not been priority um, under the federal act and in the state act in Ohio. They weren't listed as a priority either, but they were an opportunity that was available. But in order to take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, the county could collect a commission uh, off of off of the sales, and Mr. Cyrus was required to pay that. I think it was like maybe seven percent or something like that of of sales. And uh, uh, then, after it had been that case for several years, then the attorney general's office in Ohio came out with an opinion that they could not charge those commissions, and so he stopped paying the commissions and. Once once he stopped paying, then the county said, "No, we're going to go a different direction." So he lost he lost that contract, and then his his uh, his action was to try to recoup those commissions. And he he basically uh, filed an arbitration and sought to get that back from the state. The state and the 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 business enterprise program in Ohio never got that money; it went directly back to the county. So. Uh, so that's kind of where that one played out, but it wasn't it wasn't taxes. It was just a commission that was required to be paid in order to to be on a property that was not within the priority in Ohio. Does that answer your question? Um, it looks like she's gone. In okay. the meantime, we have Ted. Hi, Ted. You got a question? Let me give him just a second to unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, hey, go ahead. I've got, I got a little um, unidirectional microphone with an on-off switch, but I can't tell when it's on or off right away. So I do apologize. A um, couple of things, a couple of quick things. Number one, in the Fort Sill case in Oklahoma, is it known why the uh, Brown was preferred over Allstat? Well, the, the way these the way these selections go, because um, we did one for Fort Bliss in Texas a few years ago, um, there's there's a number of there are a number of qualifications that uh, they they get a disinterested committee that's not uh, that's so the the uh, program itself is not making the decision they have disinterested people that uh, uh, review and the uh, apparently one of the, one of the arguments that came up in that case was that one of the members of the committee that preferred uh, Brown over Allstock was apparently a friend of Brown's and probably should have been excluded from that committee, but was not. Um, but, but the way these things work is they, uh, uh, point system and, uh, it's based on, on, uh, per past performance, um, business plans, um, and, and other, other factors that are, I didn't, I didn't sit down and see what, read, what exactly all the factors were that were considered, but it showed that Brown had the most points um, and then also had the second uh, highest uh, number of points, but Brown Brown was ultimately disqualified because of past uh, uh, tax issues with, uh, with regard to his personal income taxes. And my second question is, um, Little is a little bit different. You were talking about prisons there a second ago. Um, here in Arizona, I actually live in Phoenix, Arizona, 
And here in Arizona, the state prison is is gone uh, is is now being run by an, a, a um, um, private corporation. Um, it's also uh, there have also been issues about whether or not the vendors can serve that. Um, the state says yes, and turns around and says no. And I'm curious if there are other any issues with federal prisons with that, and if there are any issues in terms of uh, both state and federal prisons going to private corporate. Um, um, ownership, if that's going to have any effect on the blind vendors that serve those facilities. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, it, okay. The state question is going to come down to what uh, what your state or your mini Randolph Shepard Act says in in Arizona. Um, if even if it's being even if the prison is being run and managed by a private company. It's it's still it's still a state function, and so depending on what what your your law may be different in Arizona, but depending on what the law says, it should still be uh, it should still be a place where a blind vendor can serve uh, and handle the vendor. As far as if uh, federal prisons or state prisons that that go private. Uh, that's that's still likely the, the priority is still probably going to hold even if it's a private prison for federal uh, purposes because technically you could argue that that's federal property even though it's technically not. I mean they're housing federal prisoners so uh, the the idea would be to argue that 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 does still qualify under the Randolph Shepard Act. Um, one of the one of the issues that we're having is not having enough vendors to cover all these things so. Need to. That's one of the reasons I said we need to encourage and recruit more people into the program. Thank you. Next question. Uh, you do not appear to, appear to have any more hands raised. Okay. Well, th- thank you, Chris. That was very informative, and I really appreciate all your time and effort in staying on top of all the stuff and your willingness to share this with us. Um, did, did Steve Mendelson join us yet? I do not see him. Okay. Uh, Steve, if you are in the audience, if you would raise your hand, which would be if you've dialed in as star nine. Dan, can can I mention something else before we before I totally give up my microphone here? Yes, absolutely, Chris. Okay, um, I don't know uh, how many of you are aware of what's going on with regard to uh, NABM. And Terry Smith, um, they have been very active and very aggressive over the last several months. Uh, apparently, Terry Smith, who, if y'all don't know who he is, you should. Um, he used to be the the director of the program in Tennessee, and but he's worked for NFB and NABM for several years now. Um, but they are basically they are basically. Uh, Renting him out to different states. Uh, states are paying. I think it's to the tune of about um, three three thousand a month. And I think thirty three different states, thirty two different states, are have him basically on a monthly retainer to ask him questions. Uh, Texas is not one of them, but uh, chances are your state may be. Um, but they've become very aggressive with. Um, with things, um, one of the other things that's going on currently that's a hot issue is is rules. Um, uh, there's been a change of the guard at, at RSA in in, uh, uh, in DC with regard to who's who's running uh, Randall Shepard, who's answering questions. Um, Jesse is still up there, but there've been other people added, and the general counsel has changed, and uh, so. When agencies, you know, anytime an agency wants to modify the rules, uh, they not only have to clear those with the elected committee, but they also they, they then have to send them to RSA for approval um, prior to prior to them becoming effective in the state. And uh, there's been a, a huge drag in the timeline for for those to be approved. Uh, Texas finally got back uh, response. We had very minor changes, basically changing ours from where it mentions DARS to, to uh, TWC and a few other very minor changes. But instead of just looking at those, the RSA went back and, and 
chewed up many parts of our yeah. that, that they had that they had approved of on prior occasions. So we're in the process of trying to to get our rules uh, to where they're happy and, and the beginning stages of discussing that with our elected committee. Uh, but this is taking place in, in a lot of states. There's the time the time lag for getting the rules back has been very uh, very slow. And uh, but it appears that uh, Terry Smith is gone, and I don't know this for sure, but it appears that he he and somebody else from NABM have had conversations with RSA based on the the way that they've responded to our rules. So it's important that RSBA uh, as 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 an organization and as your leadership stay stay involved on the national level, stay stay in touch with. Uh, NCSAB and the, the Randolph Shepherd Committee that's within NCSAB. Um, be proactive. Uh, pay attention to what NABM is doing. Um, and, I mean, they're they're on a hard membership recruiting thing right now. They're uh, they've just established, I think, or are in the midst of establishing a state chapter in Texas. We used to Texas used to have a very active RSVT and. That basically went away within the last 15 years or so, but it's important. It's important for RSVA, I think, to look to look ahead and try to try to get vendors involved and get 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 your guys uh, to be on the team and um, and be active and recruit in, in every way that you can. And um, uh, Dan, that's that's really all I had. I, I just felt like it's important to share that with everyone. I have a question. This is Artis. Yes, ma'am. Um, it leads into your last discussion. Uh, one of the issues we found in RSVA is that we've had some RSVA members that have been threatened if they belong to both organizations that they have to drop out of RSVA or keep their position under wraps because otherwise the other organization threatens them. Now, I don't know. I know we did do a resolution last year because um, they were saying that people had to go to blast versus sagebrush and uh, which hurt us quite a bit. And I thought that was illegal. And we passed a resolution last year to, I'll bring it to RSA's attention, and we never saw any, you know, positive results in that matter. And I'm not sure where we should go from here because obviously we want to retain our members and get new members. But if people are feeling threatened that they're not going to get services in their state if they join RSVA, you know, that's that's a problem. Um. So. So they were threatened in their own state that they wouldn't get services through uh, through their business enterprises program unless they were unless they went to blast that they would not approve them going to. Well, they they what they're doing is they're just pushing blast and not the sagebrush. So they're not so blatant that they could get you know probably a lawsuit thrown against them, but they're doing it behind the scenes so that people feel uncomfortable signing up because they feel that they're gonna you know, have issues in the future with getting a location, a promotion, et cetera. And they, they just, so they're just backing off from RSVA because they feel it's going to hurt them if they join RSVA. Well, here's the other issue that comes into play. And I don't know if anybody has told any, any of y'all this, but uh, uh, based on the current rules at RS, at RSA, um, state agencies, not or have a very uh, big problem with being able to to pay for people to go to Sagebrush because of the fact it takes place in Vegas and there's gambling on the agenda and and obviously you know El, uh, Vegas is the you know is the you know gambling entertainment capital of the world and all that stuff and so RSA RSA has had some pushback on that because they said you can't. You can't use federal monies to, uh, to support someone to go to a program that's there and where it's got gambling on the uh, on the agenda. We don't, and that's been a misconception. We um, we in the and we haven't had it for the last two years. We haven't even had it, but we were doing a fundraiser where people could um, do a um, 
uh, play a slot machine, but it was, but it was a side thing. It wasn't part of the agenda. It was during breaks, and they could they could do it on their own. And it wasn't in the registration fee. It was a separate amount charged. It wasn't part of the registration fee, so it wasn't anything to do with it. And we did discontinue it a couple of years ago, but they're still pushing forward, saying that um, you know that uh, since it's in Las Vegas and that you know that to me shouldn't be an issue yeah i understand but i, I think that that's where they're getting the issue from from rsa because i think they've got some pushback with paying for travel with federal funds to vegas because of basically because of where it is yeah, and we worked closely with um the leadership in ncsab to get that issue resolved and as a consequence, the best way to resolve it was just to eliminate any appearance of gambling or anything as part of Sagebrush and make it strictly a training conference. And that's why we implemented the CEU program and everything else to, to uh, make it a true. And, you know, and that's with the guidance of the leadership at NCSAB. We, we think we've got that rectified, but uh, once something's implanted in somebody's mind, it's tough to get that removed. And, just in like like you say, Chris, the the term Las Vegas, you know, brings a lot of bells in a lot of people's minds. You know, yeah, they they think of they think of gambling and gambling strippers and free prostitution. You know, legal prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> Those are things that first yeah. come to people's minds. So they don't think of that as a as a good training zone, even though it even though it it can be as good a training zone as any other location. Um, the other situation with regard to with regard to agencies saying if you want to further yourself in this program, um, you need to um, you you have to go to blast, not to sagebrush. I, I think that's worthy of I think that's worthy of a uh, of an arbitration request to RSA. You know, filing a a specific complaint with the uh, uh, with the director of of VR in in the state where that's happening because. You really, they're not supposed to take sides, whether it's ACB or NFB, and and doing that is obviously taking sides. Um, yeah, we tried to do it, but belonging we to both organizations, that can be a little tricky. Yeah, yeah, and and that uh, we we argue it's freedom of choice. We we you know, but uh, the the issue we have or had had with that is to get um, people a. They'll come forward and talk to us, but uh, to make it a public thing because they don't want to jeopardize their position in their particular state. They want to make us aware of it, but uh, they don't want to be public. But they want to be anonymous about it. So that yeah, that that makes it a little hard. Yeah, that makes it a little harder yeah. to change. Yeah, sometimes advocating is easy. Persistence, I think, is our our best bet there, and just put on the best program that we can. Pr- you know, and then, you know, look at other alternatives and just, you know, keep our minds open as to how to deal with it. So, I think I think it's a good know. idea, Dan. I think that's that's probably the key and, and offer a program that people can't resist. So <laughs> Yeah, that, exactly. And I guess uh, I've always felt that one one advantage to having it in Las Vegas, we know we got a lot of competition there with all the entertainment going on. So it prompts our and gives the incentive to our convention committee to create a much better program. And I think we've always accomplished that because obviously the other organization has always tried to mimic our programs as the following year. So I think we're successful on providing good training. Uh, it, but it is a challenge to improve upon it year by year, year after year. So, but we we haven't given up. We have not given up. Well, don't don't ever give up. So, right, right. <laughs> okay. Anybody else have any questions? Okay. Actually, there is. Well, there is. So, um, the person I was supposed to look for doesn't appear to be here. But I do have uh, Melody Brunson with her hand up. I know her. Sure. Yeah, hey, Melanie. Melanie. All right. And so we'll give it just a so second. There we go. Melanie? Um, thanks, Chris. And um, I, I want to go back for a second to your question or your comments about um, the time.
time lag that SOAs are facing in getting um, responses from RSA. It seems, I'm wondering whether there's been any um, effort on the part of like NCSAB or either of the consumer organizations to perhaps leverage uh, the Secretary of Education's expressed interest in preserving the Randall Shepard priority to go to her and say, look, we need this department to be more responsive. So, in effect, if you think this is such a great priority, can you help us by, um, you know, encouraging them to move along a little bit, maybe raise the profile of the issues within the department? Well, I don't know that that exact thing is taking place, but there there have been a couple of emails sent uh, from our VR, VR attorney network uh, to... Uh, to RSA saying, look, these states have been waiting for rural responses for two and three years, some of them. And um, uh, uh, one of the things that changed, uh, the general counsel at RSA was Jeff Rosen for a long time. And Jeff was not a fan of Randolph Shepard at all. Uh, he is gone. There's there's a new... There's a new assistant general counsel that's that's responsible for reviewing these rules, and I think I think they're getting up to speed. They have started actually sending out. Oregon finally got their their rules back. Uh, we got ours back. I think uh, uh, South Carolina and maybe Florida are, are still waiting for theirs. But it, there has been it finally has been some movement on it, but it has been. It has been slow, but they they have finally started responding. But I think a lot of that was turnover and a priority of those things. But it probably would not hurt to to send something directly to Secretary DeVos. I don't think that would I don't think that would hurt. I think that's probably not a bad idea, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Chris. I think we'll have to follow up on that. Yes. Okay. Any other questions? I have a few comments. Okay. Karen. Karen. Hi. Um, the state agencies having affiliation with the other organization, I mean, I've, I've seen it across the country. And there's got to be a way for the state agencies to understand that they cannot choose sides when they're talking about the organizations. However, that can get a little difficult when RSA itself... Um, has a very strong presence from the other organization. You said too. <laughs> I, I didn't hear you. I, I, I said you noticed that too. <laughs> I, I I know um, personally, yes, and I, I just don't see in any way, shape, or form how that's a proper way to conduct business with having that strong of a dominance towards the other organization. Without a doubt, trainings are good for managers regardless. But when Randolph Shepard Vendors of America's training are being shoved aside to accommodate blasts or mini-blast or blast trainings, I really have a problem with it. And in addition to saying there's gambling and this and that in Vegas, well, you know, there was a mini-blast held in Atlantic City, and they seem to have no problem getting funding. That's, that's, that's an interesting point. That, that, that's, um, I, it, I think it, this is one of those deals that may require some meetings between uh, RSVA leadership and, uh, and RSA, uh, because NCSAB kind of leads, uh, tends to lean toward NFB also. Yeah, and and I would be more than willing to help participate in any of those conferences or um, action to try to make things just a little bit more equal across the board. State agencies cannot choose; it's up to the people. That's true. I, w- I would agree with that. And I think if y'all could schedule a conference call between between your 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 uh, executive leadership or two or three people that y'all designate. I would probably even include Jeff Tom on that if he's kind of y'all's de facto uh, 
legal representative and uh, and some people in the general counsel's office at RSA, I think I think that would be a, a good direction to go. In 2002, I think it was, might have been 2000, um, uh, the executive board of RSVA did meet with RSA and talk. It wasn't on this particular topic. It was on other issues with RSA. And I thought it was a good discussion, and it probably would be a good idea for us to do that again. I totally agree. Yeah. It might even be a good idea to set up a regular dialogue and maybe have one of those conferences every few years just to stay in communication with RSA because obviously their people change and circumstances change and, and I think and a dialogue with them would I think would be most helpful for RSVA. So I would hundred percent support that and, and agree that the the communication is key and we have to have a presence. And if if 2002, this is 2020, you know, by my math, that makes 18 years. That's a really long time. I agree. Totally agree. Like, like, like I always say, you know, if, if you're not at the table, you're likely to be on the menu. And we, we don't want to be on the menu. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I appreciate the opportunity well, to share with you all today. And, um, uh, I, I wish y'all a, a good good uh, meetings with the rest of your conference. Thank, thank, you, you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Is, does Steve Mendelson join us? I don't, probably not, huh? Not that I am no, able no. to determine. Determine. Okay. Um, okay, then I guess we can wrap it up and we can. Okay. Um, resume our next session at um, 4 o'clock, I guess. All right. Well, before everybody goes, um, I have the closing code. And again, this is for those of you who are listening who have a credential that requires continuing education. Your closing code is 35AA2. One more time. Three, five, A is an alpha. A is an alpha. Two. Thank you, and we'll talk. See y'all back here at four o'clock, uh, Central Time or uh, Eastern Time, I guess that is. All right.